Hi everyone, it's Karina Givalkasov again. I'm the founder of Mission Magazine. Um, and if you don't already, it's the first ever, I think, fashion philanthropic media brand. It's interactive digitally, it's interactive in print. Um, and our tagline is for fashion, for beauty, for good, which is why we're doing the podcast. It's called My Mission Is, and that we think are important to hear those on that they care about. And our next guest is someone that my co-host Charlene Spiteri, who's the singer-songwriter of the band Texas, she brought to my gentleman, I think about three years ago, four years ago maybe, um, and he sounded amazing then and just wasn't, we weren't there, we didn't have the podcast set up at all. And um, so she had sat down with him over a cup of tea in her front room um, a few weeks ago, couldn't be part of this podcast. I got had a travel conflict and got stuck on the Eurostar. Um, He's an incredible man who's got a passion for caring for animals. Uh, he's a veterinary surgeon, and some know him as the super vet. We use his real name on this podcast, Noel Fitzpatrick, um, as him proper. I guess when you're passionate about doing good, you don't notice that. And then thrown to that, working and caring for animals, then that sounds to me like the dream job. Um, his life has been this, I guess, since I think from the age of 11. Um, so... Please have a listen to this because his passion comes through on the podcast. And it's just, again, another educational piece that I got a lot out of. Um, I think he's a fascinating man and just super cool that he's devoted all his time and energy into giving back to such wonderful creatures. So I hope you do have a listen. Thank you so much. And we'll speak to you again soon. Cheers. Bye bye. So I'm here with Noel Fitzpatrick. The man's just the kindest, most genius person that I've ever met in my life. And he is a vet, a veterinary surgeon, um, and so much more that I'm very sure after hearing this podcast, you're going to get a very, very brief education and you will probably go on your own and find out more. No, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's a bit too generous as an introduction coming from uh, a pop rock goddess. <laughs> Um, and uh, I haven't sold 40 million records and I just fix dogs and cats, but thank you. No, you save, literally you change the lives. The thing that, it's really funny because when Karina, who's normally with us, but today she's away selling advertising, which you mm. and I spoke about as yes. well, is so important to, to yeah. keep so many of our charities and our, our things going. But Mission Magazine is a magazine that is... At the moment, we're on our youth issue, but the the um, the conversations that we have on the podcasts are basically my mission is, and I know from the, the day I met you, which is probably like five years ago now, you have always been a man with a mission that has always astounded me at the lengths that you go to. to well, I, I've been crystal clear since I was 11. And I don't think I'll ever change. And you're quite right when you refer to, you know, your friend being away trying to raise money with advertising. I realized a long, long time ago that without a platform, you can't change anything. Right. And I always wanted to be a vet. The only other thing I would have done was be able to play guitar, <laughs> <laughs> which is really annoying that you can do that it's so never well. never too late. And, but I, I have taken guitar lessons so many times, but it's always at like 11 p.m. and the guitar teacher goes, you know what, Noel, 
you've just operated one too many times. I can't come at 11 p.m. anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I better stick with what I'm good at. But I've been crystal clear. I've always found it completely surreal and stupid that we as humanity feel like we have some kind of extraordinary celestial, I'm reluctant to use the word God-given, but some extraordinary endowment of this planet to be solely ours. Really? All right. Oh, great. So you don't see any sentience or feeling in animals that share this world with us? Okay, so that's your opinion. Uh, you don't see that you're relying on nature and, and all of its greatness. Oh, okay, well, that's your opinion. You don't see that the effects of your actions are affecting the world we live in in unbelievably lasting ways in the matter of a generation. Well, okay, that, that's your opinion. But I tell you what, what about this? What do you care about? And if it's money, ego, power and glory, what do you want that for? Yeah. Do you not want to think, well, hang on, actually, you know what, we're all passing through, and let's say, let's say a wonderful case scenario, we have 80 years. What makes you think that when you're in the soil, among it all, or in the dust, in a fire, at the end of all of that, that you're going to take any of that shit with you? Right. And it never, and I saw this so vividly as a child, and I thought the animals treat us all the same, regardless of how wealthy we are, how uh, ugly we are, they prefer if we smell, <laughs> uh, they, they don't care. Right. And again, in my adult life, I see that every day, every week in my consulting room. It doesn't matter if you're a billionaire, a prince, pauper, or whatever you do for a job, the animal doesn't mind. And kindness and, and a sense of moral responsibility permeates all of it. And I, I knew that. And I always thought that we are stupid. So my life's mission was to reintegrate a respect for what we've got here on planet Earth through mm. the animals. And I've felt that it's stupid when I started studying science that for 250 years human and animal medicine have, have gone apart, whereas in the early 1700s they were studied side by side. And before yeah. that there was the medicine man. But then big business took over, human medicine makes more money, uh, the veterinary medicine, well, you're just treating animals. And for me, it never made sense. And even to this day, there are people that go, it's only a dog. No. Yeah, but I came, I came to see your live show because mm. amazing like that you had, you had even seen the foresight to actually take this on the road and do, you know, a concert. Literally, you'd done a live show where people were watching you talk about it. And you, it was amazing because you used a lot of interaction with visuals and everything that was really explained things in such a simple way for people like me that's like, oh, what does that do? That explained it. But when you started talking, first of all, about when you were studying and what you can, how much you had fought to actually, you know, become a vet. But when you first did that shoulder, you did that shoulder operation. Talk us through that because that that for me was like a penny drop. I literally went, "What? Whoa!" Like, tell us that because I just think people need to hear this because it, it was like extraordinary when you said it, and I went, oh, "Good God!" Yeah, that was a penny drop moment for a lot of people, and I I purposely used that example. And it's interesting just to reflect for a moment on what you just said. There's a vet who's just done arena shows, 
And that's a double-edged sword that came off the back of five years of television. Yeah. And the reason it's a double-edged sword is the haters go on social media and they say, oh, is his ego so freaking big he needs an arena to fit <laughs> in now? They never say that about you. Because uh, no. you're due to, it's normal it's for a rock star to play exactly. arenas. Yeah. It's not normal for a vet to, so people have this paradigm of boxes some people live their life in a box, some live outside the box, some never even thought there was a box. Yeah. I don't think there's a box. Yeah, and I don't believe I, in box. I thought to myself, okay, we'll build this platform with the television and we'll found a charity, which is called the Humanimal Trust, and it'll have one singular objective, and that is to move medicine forward without the need to sacrifice an animal's life for the greater good of all animals and all humans with the technology we have today. Recognizing that we all want to be safe and we all want drugs and implants, but with a bigger purpose and the bigger mission was a sense of moral responsibility for the earth. So we go into the, the, the show and I am supposed to have had a few weeks to rehearse for the show. I ended up with three days because I was busy working. And, and when you the, say you're busy working, I've got to say folks, when this man says he's busy working, it's not like he's kind of going through his paperwork or he's like kind of just like catching up on phone calls. This man is literally in an operating theatre, literally rebuilding animals like bionically because that's like that was what you showed in the show as well is he's basically also in those tv show the super vet you have to see it if you have not seen it because i know that our podcast goes out worldwide and i know the tv show goes out worldwide as well, well. It, it, it's an interesting one on that because that's also very territorial so it has a big British audience, big Australian audience. The American marketplace didn't really catch on right. because nobody ever advertised it. So nobody spoke to anybody in there America and said, you know what, we're talking about, and to come to your point about shoulder replacement, we're talking about a revolution. We're not just talking about evolution. We're talking about a revolution that explains to mankind how silly we can be. And right. that brings us to your example. So I thought, okay, we're using regenerative stem cells. We are rebuilding skeleton body parts with uh, bionic limbs and bionic joints. I need to use an example that everybody can relate to. So about 10, 12 years ago, a lady comes to see me, drives all the way from Inverness. Now, you come from that neck of the woods, yes. and it's even further north than where you come from. That's a schlep. So that's a 12-hour schlep yep. from Inverness in a car with a few P-stops for the dog to end up in my car park because this lady has a dog who can't walk down the street. And the dog has really bad arthritis in various areas, but the main area was one shoulder was completely shot. And the lady worked in an old people's home and she had seen a person with a shoulder replacement. And we take this for granted. We think, yeah, sure, human medicine can give a shoulder replacement, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. If we need a new knee, we'll get a new knee. Whatever it is we need, we'll get. We don't even stop to think for a second, where did that come from? Right. So I uh, spoke to this lady and she said, all the veterinarians I've spoken to have told me a shoulder replacement is impossible because it's never been done. And I'm like, well, hang on a minute. What about this paper from 1943 where shoulder replacement was done in a dog to provide joint replacements for humans? 1943. Oh my God. Right, now this is 1943. You're talking about before the person who was doing the project went off to war. Yeah. And the reason that the project in these six to 12 dogs uh, went on 
was that the guy went off to war and the dogs were supposed to be killed after six months and ended up living like five or six years. Whoa. And the guy said, well, as proof of principle that the shoulder replacement worked, one of these dogs copulated while I was away and has had puppies. So I think the joint <laughs> replacement worked okay. And I'm like, yes, sir, that would be good evidence yeah. that that was probably working okay. And um, I was fascinated. What happened to mankind to be so arrogant to say, fine, we'll use the dogs for an experiment to give us humans what we want. And mm -hmm. we, I get that. You need safe drugs. You need safe implants. People also come down and say, oh, well, no, you're too radical. You don't realize that we need... And I'm like, no, mate, you've no idea. I've worked with human doctors and veterinary doctors across the world, and I fully understand what FDA and MHRA require to get a drug or an implant. A cancer drug costs nearly $2 billion to get into a human, and a shoulder replacement apparently doesn't yet exist for a dog. And I'm thinking, well, hang on a minute. You could probably save one and a half billion of that if you did it better right? by working with dogs as opposed to against them. And by the way, shoulder replacement for dogs does exist. So the lady comes all the way from Scotland. We give her dog a shoulder replacement. Can't walk down the street. Next thing is climb a Benaki in Scotland. I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm now being praised for putting a shoulder replacement in the dog. That's also total nonsense. Right. Why am I being praised for something the dogs gave their lives for in 1943? Mm -hmm. And therein lies the paradox. So the reason the penny dropped for X number of thousand of people in, in the arena audience is that they could see a real life example how 70 or 80 years was wasted. And they're thinking, well, that's my lifespan. And Absolutely. in the show, I was asking them to think about, are we wasting our lives and our resource by not recognizing the obvious, which is if we work together, Mm -hmm. animal and human medicine side by side, we can win quicker. So to use a very pertinent example, unfortunately, you and I both have a high risk of cancer. That's life. When we study cancer, we inject a homogeneous cell group, in, which is a, a group of cancer cells, into an experimental animal. That's how it's, an, and by the way, we need an animal model to develop our drugs and our implants. I get that. But unfortunately, when that drug comes out of that experimental animal and goes into phase one clinical trials in humans, yep. the hit rate's about one in 10 of success, by which time you've spent more than $1 billion. Because of the attrition rate. Now, it's not just my opinion. It's a little bit like global warming. Right. The evidence is growing that if we studied naturally occurring cancer, i.e. a heterogeneous cell group that exists in dogs that live in the same homes as us, if you study a cancer like, for example, bone cancer, something I do all the time, mm -hmm. the genotype, which is the genes of that cancer, and the phenotype, which is what that cell looks like, nigh on identical between human and animal. In fact, so much so that if you took the slide of that cancer and gave it to a human veterinary pathologist and mixed them up, they wouldn't be able to tell you most likely whether it came from a human or an animal. Wow. Therefore, if I am treating a dog as I was last night till half three in the morning, uh -huh. and it's now the following afternoon, for bone cancer. Do you think I want Dennis the Mastiff to live as long as possible when I take out the cancer and put on a bionic leg? Damn right I do. Yeah. Do you think if you had a child, God forbid, that had bone cancer, would you want that child to live as long as... Damn right you yeah. would. Would you want the child to have two legs to play basketball? Damn right you would. Yeah. So my point is not that we don't need to, an animal model to help us be safe. My mm -hmm. point is that it's glaringly obvious what that should be, and that is studying naturally occurring disease. 
And if we did, and some of the projects we were sponsoring at the Human Animal Trust in prostate cancer and in infection and in spinal disease yep. are direct paradigms for comparison with human disease. And therefore, when we are successful, if we take those compounds that are, so we could, in one dog, we could get, and it's already been done at Duke University with a friend of mine in Washington State, a guy called William Eward, who's an amazing guy. He has done the world's first mouse-to-dog-to-man study where he takes 4,200 possible candidates to treat a cancer and finds out what has worked best in the mouse model right. yep. and then creates a situation where real dogs with real cancer are treated with the 21 now narrowed down compounds right. and he has reduced the cost of that pathway down to about $50,000. That in is one dog. Gigantic. gigantic. That's a gigantic jump. And therefore, if it's likely to work in Fido the dog for that cancer, it's overwhelmingly likely to work in a, 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 a human, human that has a similar heart rate and a similar cancer. Okay. So that mouse to dog to man study is a game changer. And people like Will and other people across the globe are beginning to wake up to the fact that we can tell drug companies and implant companies you can save money. Mm -hmm. by working with us. Or you can just be silly and waste more money and waste lives. And that's my life's purpose. So my life's purpose is to explain that, that together, not only do we save more lives, but we're kinder to each other and we're a more yeah. compassionate society. And that's the whole point of the Human Animal Trust and it's the reason I am alive and exist at all because I, I am absolutely determined, I'm 51 now, and I'm absolutely determined in my lifetime that I get a lot of flack for this because the people on, uh, that I will change things is the end of that sentence but I get a lot of flack because the people on one side say oh no in the clinical environment you're not allowed to do things like that because it's an animal's life and I would say well the other option for that animal is limb amputation death or a drug that's 25 years old right so you tell me which which of those three you want mm -hmm. and then I'll give you this option which is a metal endoskeleton and a drug that might be far more likely to work than that drug. And then you tell me that change isn't going to happen anyway, but progress requires a little bit of freaking effort. And then on the other side, there's the people who, as you said with this magazine, you can't oil the cogs of aspiration in a vacuum. It has to be oiled by the machine that makes up the world, and that machine is money. Right. Therefore, you have to explain to big industry that you can save money and you can make a better product. You can save more of us, you can get your cancer drugs quicker and cheaper, and it takes seven years and two billion dollars for an average cancer cycle drug. Well, what about we get it in two to three years for a fraction of that cost? How about that? Would you listen to that? Yeah. But there's a vested interest in the status quo, because that's the way we've always done it. It's like you saying to me, oh, I've written lyrics uh, this way and these are the hits and therefore we're going to have no new melodies, no new words, and we're all going to do the same forever. Well, Bloom and Eck, that's nah, going to be a boring musical Yeah, it's world. going to be very boring. I mean, that was the thing, is when I came to see you do this, I just was like, it just seems so simple. It blew my mind when, when you broke it down and explained it in that way, because obviously on a day-to-day -day basis, you've got animals getting rushed in and out and in and out, and you're saving their lives and you're... Whatever, and, you, you know, you've got the people, the owners of, of, of the, the pets, and 
you know, you're not going to go into that big old conversation with them and everything. So it was amazing that you took this on the road and suddenly were like, like, I mean, you must have changed. I mean, you were playing, you were playing big old places. But it was very polarizing. So I got a lot of hate for it as well. Really? Yes. Why? So, and then unfortunately for me, I have the, the affliction of W.B. Yeats. Being Irish, he had an enormous sense of, of um, tragedy punctuated by moments of joy. And that's the way being Celtic is. You have yeah. this, this kind of view, well, shit, I'm going to get in trouble for this. But I truly believe it's the truth, and I truly believe that history will prove it right. So the reason I get a lot of negativity is because people think, well, is Noel doing this for his ego? Is he doing it because he wants to be on telly? Is he doing it because he just enjoys being a surgeon? The answer to all of those three things is no, but you need an ego to be a surgeon, otherwise you'd never think you would win. So. It's people think that because we're doing things that haven't been done before, mm -hmm. that somehow that might not be in the animal's best interest. But as I've already said, the options might be a drug that's 25 years old, a full limb amputation or death. So given those options, would we be better, and this is the key, does the human medical profession and the veterinary medical profession have the right to withhold choice? Do we have a right, if you come and see me with socks, do I have a right to tell you that's not possible when I know it's possible? And do you have a right as an intelligent human being to make that decision? And it all comes down to three things. Ethics, yep. evidence, yep. and efficacy. The three E's. Okay. So the, the whole focus of my life right now, tomorrow I'm at a conference in Cardiff. And I speak to human and veterinary medical doctors all the time and go between that and people in the media and then people in industry, mm. completely different audiences. But just like this magazine is trying to bring together advertisers of fashion with really important socially aware causes of inclusivity and not being prejudiced and opening our minds to the diversity of who we are as human beings. Yeah. That is exactly my point about who we are as denizens of the earth. And, and because we've become so isolated as vets or as human medics, we fail to see that. I was at the Global Citizen Festival in New York with Queen, the band Queen, right. and just observing what they were doing. And, it, and we can talk to each other about humanity, but it's hard to talk to people about the rights of animals, the, their intrinsic worth and whether they have the right to the same level of medical care as we have. Yeah. Because there are those that would say, we're pushing it too far. And I would say, please come and spend a day with me and sit down with Mary, who has her dog, Freddie, and say to Mary, you can't have that, even if you want it, and even if it's ethically right, because it's moving too far. Because I guarantee you, in 20 years' time, it'll be routine. Wow. I mean, and, and that's the world I live in, this giant dichotomy. Tell me the because when also when you did the show there was a, there was a point where you put up you showed a, a dog's leg that you had saved where you literally the dog had bone cancer in mm -hmm. part of his leg and you had you found out where it was mm -hmm. and basically you took the section out you put a pillar in mm -hmm. and then there was like a there was like a, a it's like a mesh that goes round it and then you put stem cells into that and regrow the bone and then suddenly the dog not suddenly but after a certain amount, the dog literally, the leg, and you showed that dog running around as normal and everything. Now, 
that as an operation, how would, if I got cancer in my arm, for instance, would that be done on me or does that, that's how exactly how they would do it? So the normal sequence of events, if you have cancer in your arm, is that the doctor will look at you. So yesterday, for the first time ever in the history of the world, as far as I know, a human surgeon stood by my side while we did an operation on a dog to do exactly that, right. remove bone cancer and uh, employ a bionic leg. N not with stem cells, because you can't actually do that with cancer because they might grow abnormally, but with uh, an endoprosthesis that okay. allowed this dog, this is an 84 kilogram mastiff, this dog's not gonna do great on three legs. Okay. Most dogs will do great on three legs, but that was a really important moment for me, because it's a moment I've been working towards for 12 years. Okay. And that was yesterday. Wow. But in the same week, last Monday, uh -huh. no, last Tuesday, this, this week, I asked the lady who looks after my social media to put out a post on three dogs that we did, that we replaced cancer with metal endoskeleton and then treated them with chemotherapy, okay? Three large breed dogs. Mm -hmm. And we put out this post on social media and there was quite a lot of positivity about it, but the negativity was like, we're gonna really complain about any website or social post that does this stuff on animals because they consider it to be experimentation. Well, meanwhile, meanwhile, why? I'm going to lecture in Canada on exactly that, and it's done quite commonly now across America, and many of the speakers at international conferences are talking about doing this, which I've been talking about for a decade, but because I'm on telly, I'm the guy who's head above the parapet, and therefore, it would be really good if I fell down and fell into the mud. And that's somehow the psychology of mankind. And who are these people that are, who, who are the people that are giving you the negativity? Well, I'm not going to mention names. But, <laughs> uh, but, but, uh, is, but, but is this it? is real life and it's very hard because I recognise completely their motive is very good and they're good people because they want to look after animals. And I... I'm not an acrimonious person. They believe in the, the, the fact that we should uh, try and create an ethical landscape whereby we look after the welfare of animals and consider all the options. So what we've done in our, um, in our practice is we have Charlene is de is 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 uh, struggling with the window. I suddenly realised it was really smoky in here, really, and I was like, "Why is this so smoky in here?" She she has a fire going in the corner, and at the moment she's trying to open a window because we're all um, actually choking choking with with smoke. But sometimes you can't see the wood for the smoke. There we go. Um, <laughs> the the point that that these people make, and actually they're all coming from a good place, is that they feel that sometimes no treatment is an appropriate treatment because euthanasia is uh, an option for veterinary medicine, it's mm -hmm. not for humans, and that therefore are we putting these dogs through too much with surgery and chemotherapy, etc., uh, and would it be better to allow them to pass away peacefully? Okay. And that's their point. And their other point is that the only animals that should get a phase one drug or implant should be experimental animals, i.e. animals that are going to be killed anyway mm -hmm. to provide those implants or drugs for humans, which is the way it's been for the last 200 years. I would argue 
that as veterinary medicine moves forward and as the technology to test your blood and your CT scans for the same knowledge as we would get anyway by killing the animal. So in the case of a bionic limb, we can see the bone growing on with right. modern CT scans, which we couldn't do 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. And in, with certain blood tests, we can monitor the outcome of cancer drugs, which we couldn't do 25 years ago. I would argue the concept of one medicine, which is where animal and human medicine is studied and moves forward together, is a far more fertile ground for us all to be working on. But they would argue that that is introducing the level of experimentation in a clinical animal landscape. And I would completely disagree because I'm sitting down with you as the mummy of, of socks, your dog, and saying to you, we have this treatment, this treatment, this treatment, this treatment, and we have this new implant uh, of which we've only done N equals four, uh, and this drug, which is in a phase one clinical trial, and we believe it's better than this other drug because of XYZ. Mary, with your dog, what do you believe you want to do? And if you want the standard of care, that's a, which is the, the older drug and the limb off or whatever it is, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, Zero but issue it's with just that. about being about allowed choice. to make the choice. It's about, do we have the ethical right, the moral right as a profession to deny choice? And then the irony is that it's all about money. They say, oh, well, you're making too much money. No. You, that, that's actually not true because if you do simple ops quickly, you make more money right. than if you do a long op that takes forever and you're putting your life and soul into it. So you, you're actually not even looking at your own argument. When, when you, so I think people lash out because they see some Irish leprechaun on the, on the telly <laughs> sticking his big Irish head up and going, uh, you know, they think it's about, oh, look at me. And actually, no, it's all oh, look at you. Yeah, and, and that's I mean the, the irony thing. you've told me here is like, like you basically said to me it's like it's so funny like hearing what you, you're saying allowing the choice of an animal to have the best possible care and then we've got the other side of it where we've got the human being going okay you've given me as much care as I want and now I'm done I don't want any more care and I want you to allow me to do what we do to the animal and you can't even do that and you can't do that so you're like euthanasia it's like it's such an it's almost like the two arguments here are twisted in the middle mm. and and nobody can get through and make clarity of what there should be and what how you know man and beast do go hand in hand and well it requires three things it requires a decrease of the ego enough to look at it that's number one and ego is usually based in what we've always done what's safe what makes the most money what's going to give us the most power whatever it is the second thing it requires is an ethical framework and this is really important because if people knew for sure that we're going to sit down as a team of clinicians and we're mm -hmm. going to discuss this animal freddy and we're going to together decide that this is the situation with Freddie and this is what we're going to present to mom and dad. I don't ever use the term ownership because I think they're family members. But anyway, I believe that the third aspect, which is mom and dad actually expect us to give us the option. Yeah. So there's the ego, there's the ethics, and then there's the education, another three E's. Yeah. And I don't believe that in 20 years time, society will look the same way at this and, and trust implicitly. Already they're looking on the internet. They don't even trust implicitly what a human doctor is saying to them. True. So, you know, Very true. so it's, it's untrue to say that they're going to 
just take it at face value. And that's another reason why I've been disruptive. Here's a big Irish leprechaun going on television and telling people about possibility. How dare he? All of a sudden, everybody knows all this stuff is possible and asking their veterinarian or their human and doctor, why are you not doing that? Mm. And then they're saying, oh, well, because it's not right or because it's not available. And okay, well, will it be right in 20 years time? Will we just stay as we are now? And I'm not disrupting for the sake of it. I'm disrupting no, I know, because I, I genuinely believe that this is the right way to go. Well, but the thing is, is I know you're, I've, I've seen your passion, I've seen your love of animals and of human beings, of good human beings and good, you know, you're a, you're a truly, truly person that's full of, of love. Well, I'm not a saint, but I want to do the right thing. Yeah, you know? but still, I mean, it's like, it's amazing because from that vision of being that boy in the tree, looking out over those fields, and thinking there's a far bigger world out there and just having that that vision and even when I came as well when I've seen you talk and talking about the simplicity of everyday life that has come into your work like the lollipop stick when you were doing the joy for the trying to find a way of making a limb move um, when you saw a ring on a woman's hand on the train and then you went a lollipop stick and a diamond ring fit into each other to make the joint move i mean it just astounded me i literally i mean what was really interesting as well as my husband walked out of that because he came along with me my, my great friend who has now been, become mm. someone you know nikki tibbles mm. who has a, a foundation for dogs world at heart foundation and you have literally gone beyond the call of duty to sort out a lot of her dogs poor animals that have been thrown out of buildings and you know, broke their legs, a, a little dog that you gave a whole breathing, mm. being able to let her breathe when someone had cut off her nose, her ears and her, her um, tail. And that little dog would have just been thrown to the roadside where Nick brought her in and came to you. Yeah, and my colleague. And your colleague, colleague built the dog really a yeah. whole new yeah. breathing, breathing yeah. apparatus, yeah. basically. Yeah. But it, it's just astounding that, that you you just your passion i can't understand how anyone would ever believe that for any way that you would ever do this for attention or money because i've seen i've known when we're trying to get hold of you or something and you're you're in a, an operation for like 10 15 hours sometimes on an animal to save its life and give that animal the best possible life it could have well uh, usually it's not 15 hours but it could be several hours and the good news about that is that you're hormone system for whatever reason cuts down your desire to pee which <laughs> which is amazing because i guess it's the same thing that kicks on when you go on stage for two hours yeah you never have you, to go you, to the loo you don't so that's the that's one brilliant thing about hormones um i think that anybody who's a critic of anybody who's trying to do anything good should just spend time in that person's shoes for just a day for just yeah. a few hours don't judge it till you've lived I, I, it. Yeah. I think, you know, unless you've walked in that woman or man's shoes, it's, it's very difficult to say, but it's actually very painful for me. I, I'm unfortunately, I take everything very personally and uh, it's hard in a single week to Thank get. Thank God you never learned the guitar. Because. <laughs> because when they say, when you put an album out, literally they're like, oh. it's like, oh my God, you couldn't, you yeah, know. Because no. you can't Thank take it God you became a vet then. Well, I thank God you became a vet in me because you saved my dog's <laughs> life. But, you know, it's like. Yeah. It's, I take it, I do take it very personally. And I just wonder, 
and I would actively invite any any of my critics in to talk to me. But I think, look, people much better than me said that if you're not pissing somebody off, you're probably not trying hard enough. Right. And I don't mean that in a confrontational way, but I think if you're trying to do something good, then if you truly believe it's the right thing to do, then you have to stick to it. And I would be betraying an 11-year-old child who climbed to the top of the chestnut tree and dreamed that Vetman could take all the waifs and strays and, and save them and make mankind realize that they're not disposable. And that's what Vetman was supposed to do. And that's what he's still supposed to do. He's supposed to make mankind recognize that our disposable instant gratification culture isn't actually where it's at. Because when, when you peel back the layers, and I wrote a little poem once, which, and the last two lines of it was, and when night's pillow nozzles back the day, the only thing you get to keep is the love you gave away. And, it, and it is a, it's about that exact thing, because you're lying there you're in your own pee at the end of the days. What, what is it that you have? You're only love, that's it. Absolutely. And that love that we share with an animal could revolutionize human medicine and veterinary medicine if only we'd listen to each other. Mm. And I know that, I truly feel in my heart that when I, like now, I'll go back to the practice and I'm going to be with Dennis, this dog that I operated on yesterday, a real big gentle giant, 84 kilo mastiff. My God. And I will look at him and he won't be dead. And he could be, he could have been dead. Yeah. He won't be trying to shuffle around on three legs. Now, please understand, many dogs are managed great with three legs, but he's a big guy in massive chest and he's losing one front leg. And the fact that a human surgeon and a veterinary surgeon are standing side by side there for what matters. Well, that's a massive step forward, even since the last time I saw you do the, the live show. That is, that's a seismic shift. Now, whether that will get traction now and allow us to use a few examples of implants and drugs with my colleagues globally that who, who believe the same mm -hmm. to show our mission is to give animals a fair deal and that and actually will allow mankind to be the very best it can be in every level emotionally psychologically and physically then that's a revolution and that needs to happen mm -hmm. or as a, a world we're in big trouble. Because as we deracinate 50% of all vertebrates on planet Earth in my lifetime, as even something as ostensibly non-newsworthy as the vast majority of hedgehogs being wiped out in the last 30 years. Yep. And as global warming gains not only credibility as a, a real understandable mm -hmm. change, we realize that rainforests aren't just for animals, they're for us. Yeah, we exactly. realize that we lead an increasingly urban environment and we're going closer and closer to our animals because actually, at the end of the day, they're there for us. Yeah. And actually, when you come in from work and you're going through a divorce and your boss has been horrible to you, the dog and the, or the cat is the love of your life. Yeah, yeah. And actually, it is what makes us the best human beings. Yeah. And that's my mission. So my mission is just to use that currency of love that exists between a human and an animal and translate it into a world where medicine and the environment is better for all of us. 
Well, I am going to say, no, Fitzpatrick, thank you so much for your knowledge and your love of life and of man and animal. And you know what? You I've seen how much you've changed just the way things are going forward now. And I think it's astounding and I cannot thank you enough for doing well, our no, mission look, podcast. I'm just a, a part of change that desperately needs to happen and this magazine is is actually, and I've only just come across this magazine through you, but the fact that it's giving voices to individuals who otherwise may, like me and like you as children, feel a bit like aliens, they are the people who will change the world. Yeah. And I'm just happy to be part of it. Thank well, you. Karina's got to, she's not got to meet you, but I'm we'll sure we're, I'm sure we're going to have to do a follow up on this because just you've got so, you've got so much knowledge. It's just like, ah! Well, it's just, I really enjoy the cataclysmic effervescence that happens when popular culture collides with science. And it's never been done. Mm. To make medicine relevant, you have to make it interesting. And to make bionics and stem cells and cancer, who wants to talk about cancer? Nobody wants to talk about cancer. Yeah. But when you make it relevant to popular culture and there's a cell on the television that's mutating and oh my goodness, he's just taking a leg off and what's gonna happen? And then you're invested in the journey and then yeah. you suddenly realize that's the thing that makes us all the same, biology. Because the cell doesn't give a flying fuck if it's inside you or inside a dog. It's a cell and disease doesn't care yeah. if you're a man or a woman or a dog. At the end of the day, we're all, we've all got, every living creature on planet Earth has blood pumping through and in many ways, from a physiological point of view, and even, I would dare say, from a soul point of view, yeah. we're all part of the planet. And I think we should all just grow up and smell that and we should grow <laughs> off for it. Brilliant. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, my love. No, no, my pleasure. Great. Thank you. That Thanks. was brilliant. Thanks, So thank you for listening to Noel Fitzpatrick. Isn't he incredible? I think what he's doing is just incredibly noble and just I had the utmost respect and admiration listening to that podcast. Um, the Amazing Super Vets, I now know why he has that tag. We'd love to hear from you guys what you think on our podcasts. Do you like them? Do you don't like them? Is we covering topics that you're more interested in? So please drop us a line and let us know. You can reach us actually at info at missionmag.org. And we're actually now on Spotify, which is great. And it's My Mission Is. And our next mission podcast, which is hosted by myself and Charlene Spiteri, the singer-songwriter of the band Texas. Our next guest is someone equally as fascinating as Noel Fitzpatrick. Totally different profession. Um, this chap has devoted his life's work to the study of cannabis, CBD. Um, he's a medical cannabis expert. So we talked to our guest on how CBD oil is becoming a buzzword nowadays. I hear this a lot. It seems to be stamped on a lot of products. And you don't know. It's kind of a bit of a minefield what you're getting. Is it strong enough? Is it not strong enough? Is it mixed with anything? So Shaila and I were on the edge of our seats, really fascinated by this topic. Um, the effects of it as a muscle relaxant, as an aid to stopping or slowing down epilepsy, it seems to have many benefits. So we spoke to Professor Mike Barnes, who 
kind of explain to us the benefits of cannabis and the CBD type. I mean, cannabis has such a negative connotation, but it's important to understand there's two types. And Professor Mike Barnes really takes us through this this podcast explaining an awful lot to us. And it's important to try and understand the natural positives to this. So please have a listen just because I loved it and I found it very fascinating and I, I, I'd like you guys to enjoy it. So thank you so much for listening. Okay, speak to you guys soon. Take care. Bye.